There's got to be an explanation to all these UFO sightings, right? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. DC has had a rough start to 2023. Let's start with crime. To date, there's been a 100% rise in car theft and a 20% jump in homicides year over year. Now, overall, violent crime is actually down 3%, but perception tells a different story, says council member at large, Kenyon McDuffie. People don't feel safe. Moving on to local politics, the DC council's revised criminal code was made into a national political issue over crime, and it was blocked by both Democrats and Republicans in Congress. Breaking news on WTOP. It's a big setback in the Senate for D.C., that is local D.C. politicians and their new criminal code tonight. The Senate has just voted 81 to 14 to overwhelmingly repeal the district's new criminal sentencing guidelines. Even President Joe Biden, a Democrat and staunch supporter of D.C. statehood, moved to block the criminal code. And now a deputy mayor is under investigation for alleged sexual harassment. Breaking news this afternoon, the man well known as D.C. Mayor Mariel Bowser's closest political confidant is facing allegations of sexual harassment. And I'm not trying to be all doom and gloom here. That's just what's gone on in the past three months. A time frame that also lines up with Brian Schwab's first few weeks as attorney general in the district. So we thought it best to check in with the new top prosecutor in D.C. and see where he stands on all of this. Attorney General Brian Schwab, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Now, we are going to talk about a lot on this show today, not only about all the things that I talked about at the top of the show, but also what your predecessor, Carl Racine, left for you to review, like the lawsuits mounted against the commanders and the ongoing recovery from the failed DC crime lab, DFS. But before we get to all that, let's talk about you first. You know, why are you here and why did you become attorney general in DC? Well, I have to say that it's uh, after almost 90 days in the job, it's been an absolute pleasure every day to come Mm. to work. It's exciting. The work is important, uh, intellectually stimulating. I've got a fantastic team of hugely talented lawyers and professionals in the office who come to work every day who are focused on one thing, which is advancing the interests of the district and the people who live here. So it's a great office to be a part of. And for me, I'm a law geek. You know, I, I love the law. I have enjoyed very much putting the law to work to help my clients and help organizations that I've served. And now I get a chance to do something I love doing in service of a city I love. I'm third generation Washingtonian. And to get a chance to come to work every day and and serve the people who live in the District of Columbia, my home, um, what a privilege. And so before we get to these specific cases we'll talk about, there's tons of them. Let's talk about what is under the purview of D.C.'s attorney general, right? Because we have the U.S. attorneys, you know, have purview and powers, but you also do. Can you talk about what your powers are and what you can do? Sure. So the Office of Attorney General, the elected Office of Attorney General, is the chief law officer of the District of Columbia. 
I like to say we have three general areas of responsibility. Uh, the first is doing the law work of the city. We defend the city, the agencies, the mayor, the council in litigation, lawsuits. Uh, we provide legal advice to the agencies and the council and the mayor. We do the transactional work, bond work, tax work, all of what you might consider traditional legal work for the District of Columbia. So that's the first bucket. The second bucket is we are responsible for juvenile justice in our city. We have a bifurcated criminal justice system. So the U.S. attorney, appointed by the President of the United States, has primary responsibility over adult criminal behavior in the city. The Office of Attorney General, elected by the people who live in the District of Columbia, has principal responsibility for kids that's under 18, as defined as a child in the District of Columbia, who are charged with crimes. Right. So juvenile justice is the second uh, set of responsibilities we have in, the, in this office. And the third is advancing and protecting the public interest. And that generally uh, can be thought of as how we protect the environment, consumers, workers, tenants, making sure that our anti-discrimination and anti-hate laws are aggressively enforced. Mm. And so, you know, you're filling the shoes of Carl Racine, who you know and who supported you um, in the campaign. He had a way of doing the attorney general things by going big. You know, he went after Facebook, he went for social media companies, he went after the commanders, and he left kind of a lot for you to review. So to start, you know, I'd love to talk about these things you're reviewing and where they stand. First off, you know, the commanders, Dan Snyder and Roger Goodell, those are all the people named or entities named in a suit that Carl Racine mounted in November. So where does that case, I think there are two actually suits, where do each of those two suits stand right now? Both of those cases remain pending in the court. You know, you're correct when uh, you're elected as the attorney general uh, for the District of Columbia. I think it's incumbent upon anybody to come in and give a fresh look uh, and try to make an independent determination of the wisdom, the merit, the uh, appropriateness of moving forward with all kinds of investigations and lawsuits, not just the high profile cases you mentioned, but really everything, which I have done and my team has done. But I also come to this office with a high level of confidence that the professionals, the lawyers in this office, have a very thorough way of doing their job, and that when lawsuits and claims are brought, they're brought based on a good faith basis, that the law and the facts support the theories and the claims for recovery that the office is seeking. So um, those two cases, among many other cases, remain pending in the court system. So no indication of whether they'll be dropped or whether they'll go forward? Those cases are going forward. Moving on to the attorney general's relationship with the mayor. You know, Carl Racine was also known for kind of having a tense relationship sometimes with the mayor, you know, as what happens with all branches of government. What's your approach to, you know, interacting with the mayor? Well, I think it's very important for everybody to understand that uh, having an independent attorney general's office is very, very important for democracy in the District of Columbia. It's good for good government in the District of Columbia. And as you alluded to in your question, there can always be tensions between the different uh, branches of the government. And that tension can be healthy and not something to shy away from. I got a lot of good advice from my dad before he died, and one piece of advice was we can disagree without being disagreeable. Mm. And oftentimes that's the job of the people elected in government. Sometimes we have to and should disagree with one another. Um, I don't think that the residents and taxpayers of the District of Columbia are well served by having an office of a mayor and an office of attorney general constantly squabbling and fighting with each other or being perceiving one another as political um, antagonists. 
And so my approach has been to bring to this job what I've brought to every law job I've had, which is to focus on the issues, do right by the people who elected me to be here, call balls and strikes, and try to move on. And sometimes that may require the mayor and I to disagree about things, which is totally okay. Right. And uh, then we'll move on to the next issue where we'll hopefully work shoulder to shoulder in furtherance of what we're both elected to do, which is serve the people who voted for us. Now, we've been going broad. Let's go specific. First up is uh, D.C.'s criminal code. Now, you called a ball, to extend that metaphor, on Mayor Bowser's call to veto, you know, that bill. You you supported the D.C. criminal code. In other words, she did not. And now we all know that Congress blocked it. The president, you know, has blocked it. What's next? You know, what what can district residents look forward to in the realm of what their century-old criminal code will become and how it will change? Well, the primary responsibility for legislating in our city is with the D.C. Council. And I hope and suspect that the council will take a good hard look at what next step should be with respect to the uh, code reform. You know, as everybody seems to know, 95 plus percent of that revised criminal code was non-controversial, universally believed by everybody to be what we needed here in the District of Columbia to bring our outdated uh, criminal code into the modern era. And let's be clear, having an unclear, outdated criminal code hurts public safety in the District of Columbia. It gets in the way of clear, effective, efficient administration of justice. And most people you uh, speak to who know anything about criminal justice know that it's not the threat of long sentences that deter crime. It's much more an understanding that if you do something wrong, you will be promptly held accountable with swift and certain consequence through the prosecutorial system. Mm. If your laws are not clear, if they're internally inconsistent, it gets in the way of having an effective administration of justice. So anybody who cares about wanting the District of Columbia to be a safe place, which I certainly do, which the people here in the office do, uh, should be in favor of clarifying a code that over time has become uh, vague and inconsistent. Mm. To be sure, in any legislation, there are things that people disagree with. That's the nature of the legislative process. right? And it's also a part of the process that when the council passes a law, it is the mayor's prerogative, should she choose to do so, to veto the law, and then the council's prerogative to decide whether it wants to override that veto. That's what happened here. Our legislative process, our democracy in the District of Columbia was working just like it works in 50 other states across the country. And that's why it was such an affront to the folks who live here in the District of Columbia who pay taxes here in the District of Columbia, oftentimes more taxes than people across the country pay, to have uh, elected officials who are not elected by the D.C. residents come in and basically substitute their judgment as if they care more or know more about the District of Columbia than those of us who live here. It's frankly insulting. And some of those members were Democrats, you know, fellow Democrats. And getting even more specific, I think, within that criminal code, you know, it was this lighter maximum sentences that was the chief issue. You alluded to it. And it was about carjacking to violent offenses that I think people in the district are experiencing more and more of or are more aware of. And juveniles, which is under your purview and power, are offenders, you know, in that case. How do you deal with that from the law? Like, how, how do you change that? How do you make carjacking is less prevalent. Look, there's um, nothing more terrifying than uh, being carjacked. Uh, They are terrifying crimes. They are um, oftentimes very, very dangerous, both in the moment of a car being stolen and then in the moments afterwards where it's sped off and can hurt other people around the crime scene. It's terrible. 
And we all as a community and everybody elected to public office need to do everything we can to try to address carjacking and other types of violent crime because everybody deserves to be safe and feel safe in the city. And when we don't feel safe, going to the grocery store or picking up our kids or even pumping gas in our car, we don't get to the other really important issues we gotta get to as a city. Mm. So I'm dialed in on how we try to make sure we're safe. And one of the things we do here in the Office of Attorney General is we prosecute crimes. As you know, um, kids that's under 18 is defined as a child in the District of Columbia are uh, subject to our jurisdiction. And we have to prosecute crimes when we have the evidence to do it. Particularly carjackings are hard cases to prosecute for a variety of reasons. But it's important to know a couple of things. One is the vast majority of, of arrests made in the District of Columbia are of adults, not of young people. Uh, and I really think it's important for the media and for our community to know that that fact exists because too often we vilify kids and we mm. forget that kids are kids. And so recognizing what the facts are around certain types of crimes and who's committing them is a very important thing. We also, to your point, have to understand why are carjackings happening? And particularly when young people are committing crimes, what are some of the root causes as to why kids get into trouble with the law? And if we wanna make ourselves safer as a community, in the long run, we gotta address those root causes of why kids are getting into trouble. Because by definition, prosecution is always after the fact. It's mm. after a crime has occurred. If we wanna make ourselves safer, we have to stop crime before it happens. We've been hearing from DC's Attorney General Brian Schwab. And after the break, we're gonna talk about a concerning trend we're seeing in the US Attorney's Office where they are unable to take cases to trial at an increasing rate. We'll talk about whether this is happening at Brian Schwab's office. Keep it here. And we're back. Attorney General, a recent report has showed that the U.S. Attorney's Office has been unable to take cases to trial at an increasing rate over the last seven to six years. Are you seeing a similar trend in your office? So the decision on whether to paper a case or charge a case is part of the prosecutorial discretion that any prosecutor's office has to exercise. The Office of Attorney General does that just like the U.S. Attorney's Office does it. Uh, I take a lot of pride in the prosecutors in our office exercising that discretion with great integrity and judgment. We don't make cases or charge cases when we don't have sufficient evidence to mm. meet our burden of proof. We have to have constitutionally acquired evidence and sufficient evidence to prove the case. And when we're talking about kids in particular, uh, that's ever more important because simply being charged with a crime and brought into the criminal justice system is shown through data to lead to worse results for kids. So if we can keep kids out of the criminal justice system in the long run, that's better for all of us. Mm. That being said, our, uh, our charging rates and paper rates, particularly for violent crimes, um, are consistent with what they've been historically. We do charge the crimes when we have the evidence to make our case. We don't divert gun cases, whether they're gun possession cases or use of a gun in the course of a crime. We don't divert carjacking cases or homicide cases. Uh, we prosecute those cases when we have enough evidence to do so. When Carl Racine was attorney general, there was also a case of DFS, right? Where DFS was not reviewing data and criminal uh, data, you know, well, and it had to be reformed and pushed back. There were hundreds of cases that spanned 10 years um, that he said were up for review. We haven't really gotten a status report on that review of these cases that happened when DFS was not, you know, processing data correctly. 
do you have a status update on this review of DFS cases? Well, unfortunately, um, we haven't made the progress with respect to getting DFS, our crime lab, reaccredited uh, that we really should have made up to this point. Um, the crime lab lost its accreditation for a variety of reasons, uh, which is a terrible result for those of us who live in the District of Columbia. It's not good for law enforcement. Uh, we rely on forensic evidence to make sure we're bringing the right kinds of cases with reliable evidence. That's a public safety issue. It means that when we have cases that we wanna make against somebody who's committed a terrible violent act, but we don't have the evidence to support those cases, that's, that's uh, not good for public safety, nor is it potentially good for public safety if people were wrongfully convicted, mm. which means that the people who actually committed the crimes are still out on the street and the wrong person right. took the rap. Uh, it's not good for our city, candidly, to have spent so much money having a crime lab that's not working. It's yeah. literally shuttered right now. Um, so we need to get our crime lab back up, accredited and working, and then we will also have to address the issue once that happens with respect to what do we do about understanding if there were cases where the integrity of the conviction or the integrity of the process is suspect and go back and make sure that justice is done, which is gonna require a tremendous amount of time and resources. Again, rather than having those resources prospectively used for other reasons, we're gonna be using those resources to clean up a mess that, um, really, I wish we never had. Now, at the start, you know, we talked about your purview and powers as attorney general. And one of those uh, responsibilities was representing, you know, the D.C. government mayor. Um, recently, Deputy Mayor John Valcecchio, you know, has uh, resigned and the investigation has been launched into his actions. A D.C. employee has said that, you know, she was sexually harassed by John Valcecchio. Currently, an attorney for the administration has been speaking on the mayor's behalf. I think a lot of people are curious on whether the attorney general has any role in, in this investigation. At the moment, we don't. And is there any case in which moving forward, if, you know, the administration's attorney shouldn't be involved because of conflict of interest, because the former deputy mayor and the mayor are so close that the attorney general would step in to uh, oversee? Like, what would that process be like? Look, I, I don't want to speculate on what might happen in the future, uh, but suffice it to say that, you know, as the independent attorney general, we're watching closely what's happening. And if there's a proper role to protect the interests of the District of Columbia or the people who live here in the District of Columbia, uh, that's not something that our office is going to shy away from. Now, the Capitol is just to my left and your right. On January 6, 2021, there was a riot and there was an insurrection there prosecution around that event continues on. What role does DC's Attorney General, you, you know, play in that? So as you may know, we have a civil lawsuit that's pending now against the Proud Boys and the Oath Keepers, as well as 38 or 40 individuals who were members of those organizations who participated in the insurrection on January 6, 2021, uh, which was, you know, in broad daylight, a complete affront on our democracy, on everything Americans hold to be sacred. And uh, our office, like many law enforcement agencies around the country, are going to do our best to hold the people accountable for that type of conduct. Our civil lawsuit is under the Ku Klux Klan Act, as well as conspiracy theories and assault and battery, common law assault and battery theories to hold those organizations and people accountable. We're also looking hard at the results of the January 6th commission report to see whether in addition to what I think of as the brawn that came to the Capitol that day, mm. uh, the law should also hold the brains responsible. Those who conspired behind the scenes, financed the insurrection, brought people together. Those folks too need to be held accountable for what happened that day. 
And in recent weeks, I've been uh, also reporting on the opioid epidemic, fentanyl, and also you know xylazine, illicit drug supply. You know, what is the D.C.'s attorney general's role in addressing that as well? You know, D.C. is not a state, so scheduling drugs and creating laws around drugs can be a complex issue. Look, we're doing everything we possibly can. I mean, fentanyl is a huge uh, public health threat. Um, It kills more people every year in the District of Columbia than gun violence, almost twice as many. Um, And it's something that everybody in government needs to be doing what we can to address. One of the things the Office of Attorney General did was bring lawsuits against the types of companies that made a lot of money uh, selling and getting people addicted to opioids. And with those settlements from those lawsuits that we have brought into the District of Columbia and will continue to bring into the District of Columbia, nearly $80 million, um, we're gonna make sure that those dollars get out into the community to make sure that people who need it, either for harm reduction or for uh, substance abuse treatment, uh, get those dollars uh, as quickly as they can. And consumer protection is also a topic that uh, your office oversees. And recently, restaurant hidden fees has been an issue your office has tweeted about, talked about, gone public about. Can you talk specifically about what D.C. residents should be looking out for about hidden fees? I think there's some confusion about, you know, what's right and what they can kind of come to a restaurant saying, hey, you charged me something, uh, you know, you shouldn't have. What should D.C. residents be looking out for? Look, this is an issue about transparency. It's really nothing more complicated than that. Consumers in the District of Columbia, whether they're dining at restaurants or buying goods or services, are entitled to know what they're buying. They're entitled to know where their money is going. They're entitled not to be surprised at their purchase after they've made it. And so what we did with respect to the restaurant fees was to use our power of education, our power of outreach, uh, to let the community know, both diners and consumers, as well as restaurant owners, that this is an issue that many, many people are concerned about. Our office was receiving uh, dozens of complaints from consumers who were confused by the fees they were seeing on their bills. Mm. And what the law requires is transparency. It requires the restaurants to make sure that before you order your meal, you know whether you're gonna be charged a fee and that you know what that fee is going to. And it requires the restaurant owners, if they tell you those fees are going to our servers, to make sure that those dollars actually go to the servers. You can imagine uh, the confusion. I admit I had some confusion recently when I went into a restaurant and um, I saw a service fee on the bill Um, And the confusion is, is that service fee, if I pay it, going to go to the workers Mm. who are serving me, or is it going to go to the house? Because if the restaurant tells me it's going to the house, I want to make sure I leave a tip for the servers. But if the house tells me this is going to our workers already, I'm already paying that 20% tip by Mm. virtue of paying the service fee. So it's really about transparency and clarity, which all consumers in the District of Columbia are entitled to have. Which is made a little difficult because of the recent proposition that was, you know, supported by D.C. voters that eventually will make tip wages less and less a part of the restaurant business. So more reason, I guess, to pay attention to it. Pay attention and make sure you know where your money's going. Look, Mm -hmm. nobody in the District of Columbia likes to go out and eat more than I do. We have have great (laughs) restaurants. It's true. uh, and, And I enjoy the experience and I want restaurants to stay in business and do well. And I think restaurants, if they are clear with their consumers and they make the case that there are supply chain issues and labor issues that are requiring the costs of running a business to go up and therefore they'd like their diners to help share the pain by mm. paying a service fee. I think a lot of diners are gonna be happy to do it, mm. but do it with eyes wide open, not through confusion and deception. 
And one of the larger issues in DC is also gentrification, you know, and housing and fair housing and affordable housing. It's a complex issue here in the district. You know, we have height restrictions here. We have, again, a district, not a state. How are you assuring DC residents that, you know, you'll protect affordable housing and make this city livable? Every day in the Office of Attorney General, we're focused on the affordable housing challenges of the District of Columbia. On the one hand, having an affordable housing challenge is a good thing because what it means is lots of people want to live in our city. Mm. Uh, We have a lot of demand for housing, and that's a good thing for a healthy community. The challenge is we don't have enough housing stock, and in particular enough affordable housing stock for the demand, and it's a very, very, very expensive place to live. So our office is really focusing on both sides of that supply issue. We're making sure that the existing housing stock is preserved by aggressively enforcing housing laws, holding the housing authority and landlords uh, responsible for making sure that the units that they have are habitable, code compliant, safe, uh, so that we don't lose housing stock and diminish that inventory and supply. We're also working hard with respect to new development, because I think to work our way Mm. through the housing challenges in our city, we need to develop. We need to be a place where people will invest and grow the number of units, in particular the number of affordable housing units. Uh, Our office has a unit called the Equitable Land Use Unit that is very much engaged now in the uh, planning process and in the zoning process, making sure that as new developments come online, we're thinking about the impact. We're thinking about displacement. We're thinking about how many new affordable units are going to be in each development. We're thinking about the environmental sustainability. Some of these larger public interest concerns that implicate the need to develop, but making sure we develop in the right way. So we're going to do our part in making sure that uh, we do everything we can to keep D.C. affordable. I heard from so many people when I was running for office that they had lived through the poverty of our city and they should be entitled to stay for the prosperity. Mm. And, you know, that's fundamentally right. And if uh, the Office of Attorney General can make sure that that fundamentally right argument is lived out in reality, we're going to do that. And to close out here, you know, uh, I think everyone, including me, is dying to hear what your favorite restaurant is in the city. Well, look, you know, (laughs) I I have said publicly that um, I'm a fan of tequila. So, you know, most restaurants that serve a good tequila on on the rocks with a lime is going to be a favorite of mine. I fear, as the father of three daughters, that you never say which of the three is your favorite. That if I were to say which is my favorite restaurant, I'd offend several others. (laughs) That's fair. Uh, but, um, But yes, I do like to go out to eat. Attorney General, thank you so much for the time. Thanks for having me. And that'll do it for us today here on the DMV Download Podcast. Thank you so much for listening and let us know how we're doing on this show. Rate and review us on your favorite podcast platform. This show is brought to you by WTOP News. Listen on 103.5 FM in the D.C. area, 107.7 FM in Virginia, and 103.9 FM in Frederick, Maryland. Online at WTOP.com and of course on the WTOP News app. Have a great week. I'll catch you Wednesday.